it's over 9,000! Welcome, Super Elite Warriors, to Final Forum, a podcast for the discussion of all things Dragon Ball. I am your host, Jelly, an elite recruiting member of the Frieza Force on a mission to find the best warriors from across the galaxy to join the greatest army of all time. And I am joined, as always, by my new recruit co-host. This is Bikini. We should, like, uh, probably get going, right? Yes, recruit, we will, in very short order. Are we do uh do do we have time to do one of these these you know podcast things right now? Lord Freeze sounded quite uh, disturbed that we hadn't left yet to begin our mission, and he was oddly way more focused on Earth than finding new recruits. <laughs> ah, spoken like a true rookie, Lord Freeza was merely trying to give us the proper motivation and make sure we remembered all the parameters of our mission. I don't know. He seemed really focused on Earth, and I thought I heard him shouting things in the background about a Saiyan on Earth and the dragon... Edited by Lord Frieza for our listeners' safety. What the hell was that? Oh, that, uh... That was something that had yet to happen. See, this show is monitored by Lord Frieza's Ministry of Communication. It's edited in real time in order to ensure no sensitive information about Lord Frieza's plans accidentally sneak into the public airspace. Remember, our Lord has a lot of enemies out there who would use sensitive information against him. So, we're being censored? This is just propaganda? Hardly! There must have been some potential background information coming over our computer systems that the Ministry of Communication didn't want to leak out. I am typing in our coordinates for our first location, after all. But someone is monitoring and editing our words as we're speaking, though, right? Well, of course. Hey, did you think the intro and outro music on these episodes was being played by a live band? Hey, I might just be a recruit to you, but don't think of me as an idiot. I'm not the one who assumed a discussion show wouldn't have some editing. No, it's not that. Well, then what is it? Recruit? Well, I, I, I didn't sign up to be on a propaganda show. That sounds a bit like an underling questioning the commands of Lord Frieza. No, 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 no. I just wish to express my um, desire to maintain our integrity as ambassadors. And in my personal opinion, the best way to do that is to be open and honest with others. And give away our plans and positions to terrorist organizations who would just as soon like to see honest men like you and I dead and their selfish desires to hoard power for themselves rather than join the Galactic Order of Frieza's Empire? I guess not. Hey, listen, can we change topics here? This is making me a bit uncomfortable. Well, if you're in the mood for some discomfort already, let's dive into our topic for the day as we'll be discussing some of the early episodes of Dragon Ball that feature some antagonistic characters. Ooh, and, fun. And as I mentioned, at, towards the end of last episode, we'll be discussing episodes two through five of the anime today. Um, one of the reasons, I don't know if we've talked about this just yet, but maybe we have. One of the reasons we'll be talking about the anime first is because I think most people's introduction to this show introduction to this world really of dragon ball was by watching the show first 
maybe that's wrong. Maybe that maybe there's people out there that picked up the manga first and don't even watch the anime. Maybe there's people out there that uh, I don't know got into this by reading Journey to the West first. For all I know, I. I or just think, maybe maybe they got exposed to Lord Frieza's propaganda. Edited by Lord Frieza for our listeners' safety. I mean, our podcast, and they're curious. Watch yourself there. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I think the most common way in is by watching the show, normally. And so I think that's kind of where we, sh- we should be starting. Um, so that's what we've been doing and what we'll Makes continue doing. Well, that's what we'll continue doing for a while, and then we'll we're gonna kind of go back, right? We've mentioned we'll we'll have a, a Toriyama episode, we'll have a Journey to the West episode, maybe someday. As, as we come across them, I think we're gonna talk about like the movies and things. So we're we're gonna jump all over the place a little bit, but like the structure is to kind of let's start with the show because that's where everyone started. So episodes two through five. This is a lot of world building and character introductions. I'm not going to go through episode by episode, but um, basically some of the things that happen in these two episodes are we get a, we get a bunch of more stuff with Goku and Bulma, right? Um, This is for sure. In the second episode, there's this sequence where Goku needs to take a bath and Bulma has to bathe him. He shows no compunction about just flopping his penis right in her face it's not a sexual thing for him and i think this is maybe a a decent place to just break off for a moment and talk about some of the nudity in this anime is notorious for having fan service and you know having big old boobies in your face and upskirt shots of girls and a lot of things like that i there there's some of that in here and i think we'll kind of talk about it when we when we get to it I don't think anything that's in these first few episodes qualifies as that. I think the nudity and the the sexual humor here are just supposed to be funny. And generally, yeah, they kind of are. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm thinking of a few things off the top of my head, and it's they're, they're mostly played as gags. Maybe, like, especially in current day, maybe not the, the best, but... Ultimately, it's. It, I don't think it's as problematic as like other anime can be, right? And not even as problematic as some Dragon Ball stuff can be. You know, when we get into later episodes and Bulma's dressing like a Playboy also, bunny and also true <laughs> uh, things like you know some of those kinds of things. You know, this is this is Goku's just not ashamed of his body. He doesn't understand what a vagina is. Um, that's that's a joke that's made at one point. I I I think he's even confused as to um, why Bulma doesn't have a penis. Like he's not even aware of the fact that like men and women are different genders. Really? Oh yeah, he he doesn't know where her balls are. That's a joke. He's like, <laughs> your balls are gone, and she thinks it's the dragon balls. So so that's that's what happens in episode two with Goku and Bulma. It's just more more their odd couple type of thing. Um, also, we get a little bit more with Pilaf. We show how kind of inventive and ruthless he is. He, like, has Shu come in and talk to him, and he kind of twists Shu's words around, and then you presses a button and hangs him up So these giant metal claws that come out of the, the, the floor and the ceiling. So we see some of his inventiveness and his, and his technology there. You know, he's ruthless. He's willing to, like, cut one of his people up just for, like, the the mere insinuation was, of some sort of impropriety yeah. um you know we see goku is a really good hunter he's like jumping nimbly bimbly from tree to tree um that's that's really kind of all episode two is it's a little more introduction with pilaf a little more with goku and bulma as an odd couple then episode three we meet turtle turtle is a sea turtle He's far from the the sea. He asks Goku and Bulma to take him back. Bulma's sort of hesitant to do so, but Goku's like, "You know what? Let's do it. Let's help this guy out." And and go and and he's like, "I'm going to do it. You can come with me or not." Bulma ends up coming with him when she realizes how scary things are without the strong Goku there to watch her back. They come across like a a giant bear man wants to try and eat the turtle. The turtle's scared. Goku or Bulma instantly is like, yeah, you can have this thing as long as you leave me alone. Goku, this is one of our first like real battles where, you know, he's showing some strength 
and stuff beyond just like a, a fish or a pterodactyl with his power pole. Uh, this guy tries to slash at him with his sword. Goku dodges his sword easily and kind of laughs about it uh, and then beats him pretty easily. And then follows up with asking the turtle if if he is actually tasty to eat, almost kind of implying like maybe I'll eat the turtle. Right. When they get when they get the turtle back to the sea, the turtle's like, "Hang out here, and I got I got a surprise to bring back for you." And he brings back uh, someone named Master Roshi or Muten Roshi or the Turtle Hermit. Uh, this is a character we are going to delve into deeper later. Uh, because there's a lot to delve into with him, but um, he doesn't have a super major presence in these early episodes so much. Pilaf, meanwhile, heads to Roshi's house because he learns that Roshi has a Dragon Ball. Roshi, back on you know the mainland, wanting to thank Goku for helping Turtle come back to him because he's the Turtle Hermit, and so they are friends gives Goku a present and it gives him the flying Nimbus. Uh, the flying Nimbus kind of interestingly is, uh, Oh man, I'm going to butcher this cause I don't have it written down in front of me. I think it's pronounced Kanto un in, in Japanese, which That's actually fairly means, close. I think, which actually means somersault cloud. Um, that's a nod to Sun Wukong who could somersault through the clouds across the world. Goku can use his flying Nimbus to fly anywhere. The trick being you have to be pure of heart. Um, Roshi tries to hop on to show him, falls right through. Uh, Goku hops on and boom, he's off and flying around. Meanwhile, Bulma notices Roshi's got a Dragon Ball around his neck. And she's like, oh, can I have that? And and he's like, no, I can't give this up. It's pretty. I found this thing. And she's like, what if I showed you my underwear? And she flashes him a couple times, not realizing that her underwear has previously been removed um so roshi gets a, a more than he bargained for and is <laughs> and is quite thrilled with what he gets to see and so he gives up the dragon ball that's basically episode three uh, episode four concerns oolong goku and bulma come across a village it's in peril oolong has been stealing their girls he's a shapeshifter so no one knows exactly what he looks like they're in this village, and this a woman in the village has a Dragon Ball, and they say, oh, we'll defeat Oolong if you give us the Dragon Ball. They go through a, a ruse to trick Oolong into thinking he's one of, that Goku is one of the village girls. It almost has a chance to work until Goku, being a creature of nature, has to pee and just starts peeing, and, Goku, and, and Oolong is like, that's a penis, uh, and he runs away. <laughs> he comes back later. He tries intimidating Goku, and because Goku's standing up to him, one of the villagers has the like audacity to throw a rock at him. And the rock hurts Oolong, and Goku realizes, hey, just because this guy can change shape doesn't mean he's strong. They wind up defeating Oolong fairly easily. He takes them to where the girls are, and we find out that, like, yes, he's been taking these girls, but because he's so lonely and wants to be loved so badly he basically lets them walk all over him. And he thought he was going to be taking them to help him cook and clean and, and be his loves. And instead, he does everything for them, and they just lay around and, and do nothing. When Goku and Bulma say, join us, he's like, yeah, okay, it's like better than this. So Oolong comes along for the ride. While he's along for the ride, he tells them the tale of the Ox King, which is where the next ball is, is at Fry Pan Mountain, I believe it's called, or the Burning Mountain, something. I'm not sure what it's called in the in the English dub at the moment, but it's basically it's Fry Pan Mountain. It's uh, the Ox King is the ruler. He's supposed to be the strongest warrior on earth, and he's afraid to go there. But Bulma is like, "Hey, you're hungry. You're always hungry. Here, take this pill." She gives him this pill, and now. Every time they say pee, 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 which is like a piggy, 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 uh, Oolong has massive, horrible diarrhea. <laughs> I think in the dub, don't they go suey or something like that? In the one I watched, see, now this is where you get into multiple dubs. Yeah, exactly. In the one I watched, they say piggy, piggy, piggy. In the Japanese, it's pee, 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 which is actually the, like, I guess onomatopoeia. Yeah, the Japanese onomatopoeia for diarrhea, basically. 
So basically, in the in the Japanese, they're going like, and he's <laughs> and he's pooping. That's that's part of the that's part of the reason why uh, why Goku thinks Bulma's like a witch. Um, this is just yet another one of those like because she's basically chanting like poop 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 and he poops. <laughs> but so that now Oolong can't run from them, right? He because as soon as he starts to try, they're gonna be like poop 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 poop, and he'll have massive diarrhea. It's pretty good insurance policy, honestly. Yeah. So then they have to cross a desert. Um, as they're crossing the desert, they're ambushed by Yamcha. Yamcha being a desert bandit, he demands they hand over their stuff. Puar, who is Yamcha's companion and can also change shape, has a history with Oolong. Goku and Yamcha fight. We see the wolf fang fist. Goku's kind of dealt his first defeat because he's just so hungry. And he really has kind of met his match, at least somewhat, in Yamcha. But then... Bulma shows up and Yamcha runs because Yamcha is afraid of girls. Me too, buddy. Me too. <laughs> um, so let's let's peel this back a little bit. We're going to talk about three antagonistic characters. And let's start with a character that we actually meet in episode one and, and talk a little bit about Emperor Pilaf. So Emperor Pilaf's the main antagonist of this first story arc. Uh, his name, obviously, inspired by rice pilaf, which is traditionally a Turkish food, uh, which then explains much of his appearance in terms of his clothing and kind of, I think, also the style of, like, his castle, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yep. His subordinates, Shu and Mai, are also food-themed, with uh, Shu Mai being the dumplings that are traditionally served with rice pilaf. He's a small blue imp who calls himself emperor but seems to kind of just be in charge of a single castle. His appearance and his empire kind of undercut the magnificence um, that he tries to portray of himself and his castle and, like, the technology and stuff that he has at his disposal. Um, he's pretty inventive. He's fairly intelligent. Not quite as smart as Bulma. Um, like, he has a dragon radar, but it's, it's like, the size of a room, like a large computer, as opposed to Bulma's, like, palm-sized version of it. Uh, he's a despot. He's vile. He's averse to gross humor and impropriety um but later on we see that he's also a little bit of a prude and then the star on the the, the, the on his cap and kind of in the center in the front shows that the dragon balls are always like front and center in his mind at all times and for the most part this holds true throughout the series even well into like super the rough that he wears uh is also kind of like Again, sort of trying to display this grandiosity that he has uh, for himself, um, but also at the same time undercuts it because you can kind of see it as being sort of like the that that sort of rough that like the elites from like ages gone by used to wear to show their uh, nobility, but also at the same time kind of looks like a clown uh, rough. So again, that it's that sort of uh, kind of like undercutting his own self-image, I guess you'd say. Right, which is that's something Toriyama does a lot of, of like having characters that sort of appear one way and actually are another. You know, Yamcha is very, very handsome and brash, but then he's like scared of women. Toriyama likes to play with contrasts. Pilaf, for for his part, is he, in some ways I kind of characterize him as like a less dangerous Jabba the Hutt, and and almost in a way like an inversion of that character. You know, yeah, he's a he's a lone slumlord of a palace who thinks very highly of himself, and he's only worshipped by those closest to him who fear him and his reprisals. They think they have something to gain from him, but he's also prudish and small and proper, which Jabba definitely is not. But given Toriyama's penchant for subverting expectations and his love of Star Wars and movies in general, this could be somewhat intentional, even if it's not Jabba-specific. The trope of a despotic warlord who's extremely hedonistic is well-known, and Toriyama's undercutting that with Pilaf being such a prude. And in a weird way, he's not dangerous and bumbling and inept, but has like a comedic irony of somehow making him, at times, more dangerous, because he's got this ineptitude and he's playing with forces beyond his ken, and it causes more harm than just staying out, out of it would. We see that, you know, 
in in some later stuff. I'm not sure if I could think of any super specific examples off the top of my head, except for one that comes from GT, which, uh, you know. What's GT? I've never <laughs> heard of that before. But, you know, in that one, he's he's trying to get the Dragon Ball still to take over the world. Uh, this is the whole premise for GT. You know, he summons the dragon. The dragon's like, what's your wish? And Goku shows up and he's like, you, I wish you were a little kid again so that I could beat you because I could beat you if you were a kid. And that's that Goku gets turned into a kid, right? Pilaf does those kinds of things regularly. Uh, He does something that like just accidentally causes more harm than good. So with that thrown out there, is he a menace? Is he a clown? Where do you come down? I come down on clown mostly just because like he's always got these plans and they always fail. Like I don't I can't think of a time he's ever actually reached a goal that he set for himself. And I think I think it's supposed to be or it's intended to be a juxtaposition of Goku himself because when you look at them they're especially in Dragon Ball they're similar stature. They're similar in that they've been isolated for a good chunk of their life. Um, but they want to get out into the world and 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 kind of prove themselves. Um, but the major difference between the two of them is that Goku goes about it by going out and working at it and increasing his strength like through his own choices, whereas Pilaf's always looking for the shortcut. And I think that's I think that's kind of the point of the character. Yeah, for sure. And I I think that that Toriyama constantly bringing him back points more towards clown than menace, right? I mean, yeah. Absolutely. He wants this he wants this character around constantly. And yeah, sometimes not at all. Uh but he wants to keep bringing this character back because he thinks it's funny. And and that's that's a big part of the the purpose that the character serves is something funny is going to happen, but that's going to create havoc later on. I actually think in Super there's some pretty funny stuff with Mai because you know now at this point she's the whole thing they they get turned into young versions of themselves but uh so she's now like an adult woman in like a young child's body and Trunks has a crush on her <laughs> um which has its own whole set of problems which we won't get into here <laughs> right so yeah I don't know is is Pilaf a good character or bad I, I think it it kind of depends in terms of an initial uh, obstacle or an initial antagonist for the show, uh, he's he's not the best. But also, you know, as we mentioned in the past, Dragon Ball is is not always about the fight itself. It's about Goku. It's about who Goku is, and I really think the first arc of of Dragon Ball, especially, is about who this character is, right, and how he responds to adversity. By having the first antagonist be someone who's like a clownish version of the Lex Luthor to Goku's Superman, right? He doesn't have superpowers. Sure. He's not going to go blow for blow with Goku at all. I, I think it, it helps us reveal more about Goku's character. So is, is Pilaf a good character? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think he's fun. I think he's funny. I mean, I, th- I think he fulfills his function, which I guess that kind of makes him a good character in that we're interpreting him, I think, the way that he's supposed to come across. So, yeah, I would say I would say it's that's a success. I don't hate him. I don't hate when he shows up. No, usually because, you know, it's going to end in probably a gag or something. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's Pilaf. Uh, he's he's our first, an- you know, antagonist of the arc. Uh, he he'll he'll slide in and out of this over the next several hundreds of episodes. Um, Sometimes he'll be almost right back front and center. And sometimes you will forget that the dude existed (laughs) up next. Speaking of forgetting that people exist uh, is Oolong. (laughs) Cause similarly, you will sometimes forget this character exists, but uh, yeah, let's, let's learn a little bit more about, Oolong, the anthropomorphic pigman. That's right, anthropomorphic pigman. Uh, he's loosely based on Zubaji from Journey to the West, 
and I'm sure you're probably asking, who is Zhu Baji? Uh, so one of the three helpers of Tan Sanzong, obviously one of them is Son Goku, like we talked last episode. Uh, but Zhu, meaning swine, and Baji, meaning eight precepts. Uh, the eight precepts being staunchly held Buddhist beliefs about not killing, not stealing, remaining chaste, kind of, you know, just the tenets of the, the, the philosophy. Uh, so basically, Zubaji is the Buddhist pig. He's often referred to as, uh, I guess, the idiot of the group. I, but I feel like that kind of changes from time to time. But yeah, for most part, he, he well, I would say he's... In in Zubaji is referred to by Sun Wukong as like, they call him, like he calls him just idiot. Oh, oh, okay, I got you. <laughs> All right, so he was originally a commander of the Heavenly Navy, um, but then he was banished for misbehavior when he tried to seduce the goddess of the moon. During his banishment, he fell into a pig well and became a monstrous pig man. He's first encountered by Sun Wukong and Sun Zong in a village where he is, uh, depending on your version of the story, either like forcibly marrying a young farmer's daughter or like marrying her due to his ability to do like a lot of really hard physical labor but also simultaneously eating so much food that he he's like costing this farmer tons of money um but in any event he's revealed to be the antagonist but after fighting sun wukong and being defeated he decides to join the pilgrimage um he's a master of transformation that, that sounds awful familiar uh, but not as much as sun wukong who in journey to the west uh also transforms into a girl to trick zubaji but the the difference here, I guess, as far as the powers are concerned, is that Zubaji uh, maintains his forms for like multiple days, as opposed to just like that five minutes. Right. It's Oolong's transformations last only five minutes. It's, it's probably just to give a little bit of extra drama and improve the overall pacing. Right. I mean, Toriyama knows that he can't have this character just be a certain way for days. Right. That's that's not in in terms of the story he's telling. Right, because right, because it, it, it's funnier to have it only last five minutes. Right, right. That and yeah, it, it would be too because there's a journey to the west is a little bit more of an esoteric story, right? They are they're on a pilgrimage. They're going for enlightenment. Uh, you can't take shortcuts to get enlightenment versus trying to get Dragon Balls. If he could transform, it would make the journey too easy. And also, you know, this it bears mentioning here that, like, just because Toriyama is inspired by Journey to the West doesn't mean he's making, like, a remake of it, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not anywhere near, like, a one-to-one, a -one, like, uh, I guess, reimagining of it. Right. Just it's, like it's definitely very much more loosely based, right? Just like just like the Matrix can have those like religious connotations in it with Neo being Jesus, but if you try to read it on like a one to one level, you're it, you're gonna get you're gonna be like, who's that character supposed to be and who's that character? Not everyone is supposed to be everything, and not everyone lines up perfectly with who their counterpart would be. So Oolong, Oolong in Japanese is Uran. Uh, his name is derived from Wulong Cha, which is a Chinese tea commonly taken during dim sum. Uh, he first appears as an Oni, which is a Japanese demon, and according to folklore, Oni can be driven away by monkeys. Oh, imagine mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so people also fall so easily for his transformations, specifically and especially Bulma. There's a moment in the episode where he goes from looking like a monster to transforming himself into a handsome man. And she goes from cowering in the shadows to being to having literal hearts on her eyes. And she's like, oh, my goodness, you're so handsome. And the reason people fall for them so easily is because that's a trope of Journey to the West. Everyone falls for Zubaji's transformations, and especially Sanzang. Uh, Sanzang is constantly confused by Zubaji's transformations, and so Bulma is easily taken in. As we mentioned, the, the PPPP song sound is used to make him poop, because that's like the onomatopoeia. Interestingly, about Oolong... Uh, besides his inspirations, besides, you know, the derivations of his name and things and, and this, this Oni being able to be driven away by monkeys, he's dressed 
in a contemporary Chinese communist Mao uniform. He's dressed in the army or the, the, the uniform of the People's Republic of China or whatever it's called at that moment. Um, so is Oolong this gross, lecherous, gluttonous pig man a commentary on China and communism and Mao? The answer is maybe and maybe not. Toriyama's never said. So it's really up for debate. And outside of the uniform, which which he ends up losing later on also, um, I don't think he's ever directly – like that, that parallel is ever actually directly made as far as I know. I mean, he's not communist for sure, right? Like, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't espouse any sort of communist beliefs. So, you know, is is it maybe? Is it maybe a bit of fun he's having? It it could be, but but also, you take all these things together, right? Where where his name comes from, being Wulong Cha, this Chinese tea, that is a very very traditional, old school, like whatever teenth century Chinese, maybe earlier, you know. Chinese tea it is it's very traditional it goes a long way back and then so so you'd think of this character especially where his origin comes from of being a very traditional character in Japanese folklore so you think of him as a very traditional character and the character of Zubaji is dressed usually in very traditionally Chinese whatever dynasty Tang I think Tang dynasty clothes and then you, again, we talked about Toriyama likes to just undercut things, likes to just play with contrasts. You throw him in a very modern day piece of clothing that people all throughout China would have been wearing. Because at that time, communism was being so strictly uh, enforced, uh, the, especially the, the Chinese communist dictatorship, that like people were mandated to wear those clothes. You take this character who's very traditionally Chinese and you throw him into a modern piece of clothing. Um, so is it is it a commentary on Mao and communism? Well, maybe not, but but maybe it's a commentary on like you know just subverting expectations. I could see that. Uh, it's it's interesting nonetheless. I mean, some people say it's definitely Mao. Um, if you ask me, he looks a little, <laughs> looks a, mo- a little more like Kim Jong Il. Yeah, I could definitely see that. <laughs> um, I also had a thought, kind of going back to to Zubaji, uh, because he was a commander of of the Heavenly Navy, which would be military, kind of similar to how Oolong is dressed. Um, but then he was banished for misbehavior, so maybe he was communist. But then because of how he acts and who he is as a person, he had to leave or was banished because of that. And that's a way to sort of reference that that origin story from Journey to the West. Right. It's all kind of interesting stuff about this character that, you know, when I started watching Dragon Ball Z was a complete like afterthought character. Yeah, you almost kind of wonder, like, why is there that why is there a pig living in Master Roshi's house? Yeah. Yeah, so that's I mean that takes care of Oolong. He's a he's you know he's one of the companions of of the initial part of this journey because he's yeah inspired by Zubaji. It's pretty unique stuff. Um, or maybe not unique, maybe pretty traditional. But uh, yeah, that's that's that character. So then we we come to our our third character topic for the day, the third uh, antagonistic character. Uh, who at least starts as antagon- an antagonist, and that's Yamcha. Yeah, so he he starts out as your this, uh, your favorite character. You, well, yes, well, yeah, one of your I, favorite I mean, characters. You know, and and he starts off he's a pretty cool character, and then later on he becomes a joke. But I I still like him just as much, anyways. It's okay, I'm all right with it. But yeah, uh, he starts off as this uh, desert bandit who like is working on setting up this ambush for Goku and friends. Um, he's somewhat an antistic antagonistic character. Um, he's a little bit of like an anti-hero, um, but eventually he becomes one of Goku's longtime allies and friends, you know, cause Goku just has that effect on people. 
He's inspired by bandits and murderers that um, – I hope I don't mess this up. Xuanzang encountered during his pilgrimage to India. Uh, he is considered in Dragon Ball one of the strongest humans. Um, he becomes sort of like a punchline, a joke. Uh, we kind of just touched on this, but um, really his purpose in DBZ is kind of show his – this character that we knew from like the, the start of the show who only ever lost to like – the stronger characters like Goku, Piccolo, Master Roshi, um, and how he's essentially uh, just child's play compared to new threats. Uh, I think, I think if I if I remember my wrestling terminology correctly, uh, as time goes on, he essentially becomes a jobber. Yes, and uh, for those of you that don't know, a jobber is somebody that loses to the bad guy just to hype up their strength, essentially. Right, and also. A bit of a curtain jerker. Curtain jerker being a guy who comes out first, who gets you excited for when the main event comes comes along later. Yeah, that's that's quintessential Yamcha. Uh, so his name is inspired by Yamcha, which is the dim sum meal in Japanese, and the kanji on his chest for his character design in Dragon Ball reads Raku, which means uh, relaxation or calm in Japanese. And according to Toriyama, it's because he wanted Yamcha to basically be like this chill, relaxed guy that takes it easy. And uh, Raku is Yamcha's favorite word, so he uses it kind of like as his identification or his mantra or like his his symbol. Right. Again, that's, you know, he's this chill, relaxed guy who then freaks out when girls are around. That's Yamcha, again, playing with contrasts and playing with, with you know, internal uh, inconsistencies within characters, right? The the, the sort of internal hypocrisies of people, I guess you you could say. So Yamcha, you know, you mentioned he, he's a desert bandit. He's inspired by the bandits and the murders that Zhuangzang encountered during his pilgrimage to India. But he also, uh, I think, is is in large part inspired by Sha Wujing, who is uh, sort of the third accompanying member of uh, Zhuangzang's party. Um, you know, the other two being Zhu Baji and Sun Wukong. Sha Wujing was another previous general of the Heavenly Armies, but he also committed faults and he also was cast to earth. He becomes a man-eating sand demon. He lives in a river as opposed to the desert, but, um, you know, with the sand living off of others before joining the pilgrimage, there's definitely some Yamcha connection there, especially that Sha Wujing was known to sort of lurk and wait for people to come across him and then attack. I mean, Yamcha sits around in this hollowed out, you know, husk of a thing in the desert and waits for people to come across so he can steal their stuff. Xiaobu Jing's skills and abilities are the least useful of the group. Whereas Zhu Baji, I think, is like the master of 40 different transformations or something like that. Xiaobu Jing is, is 18. But his skills are still far and above that of an average person. He's just usually the one who kind of contributes the least to the team. I think you could see that parallel with Yamcha also. He doesn't officially really seem to join the the Dragon Ball team until most of the way through this first arc. You know, he's he's interacting with them and he's kind of there following them but he doesn't really become one of them for a while right he kind of contributes the least to goku's cause so again you know another way toriyama is subverting things is shawujing is a demon and he's not attractive but yamcha is a very good looking man uh just briefly to talk about puar yamcha's best friend uh his name is also derived from a dim sum tea but a more refined one than wulong cha I think it's just Puar Cha is what the name of the tea is. Um, but this is why Puar's transformations are better than Oolong's and why he can hold them longer is because in in story, he's told that he completes his training, whereas Oolong is kicked out of the academy. But Toriyama is telling you just through these characters' names that one of them is less refined than the other. And... Puar, even though he is kind of voiced and acted almost like he's a, a girl who's kind of always been in love with Yamcha. That's what I thought for a really long time. Uh, Notice me, senpai. 
Toriyama thinks of Poir as a he. So he's just Yamcha's longtime like best friend and companion. Back to Yamcha, his fighting style is is very wolf inspired because he's a lone wolf. He lives in the desert, he lives alone, and so he's a wolf fighter. He's the lone wolf. So that's a lot of who Yamcha is. Now, let's talk about Yamcha a little. We mentioned he kind of becomes a joke. Do you think he is a joke? And does it bother you if he is? I guess I haven't read any manga ever. <laughs> um, so, you know, we can we could maybe revisit this a little bit when we when we get to it, maybe however far down the line. But um, I guess Yamcha is possibly coming back as like a member of the Galactic Patrol in the in the manga. I mean, it, it fits because the Galactic Patrol usually just stands behind the Z Warriors and watches them do everything anyway. So. <laughs> so is Yamcha a joke? Does it bother you? Would you want to see him get some sort of redemption? Uh, I mean, I think he's, I think he's a joke. I think he's been intended as a joke from the get go, even though he is a skilled fighter. And you can see that in the fact that like, he's afraid to talk to girls. Um, and as time goes on, he just gets hilariously outclassed by the other fighters. And even if you look at like his signature techniques, they're so over the top and they have such wasteful movements and they're like, essentially pretty ineffective like every time he uses them too on top of that uh like you look at the wolf fang fist it's this barrage of punches and kicks and a lot of times it's either he he goes to use the wolf fang fist and completely whiffs and doesn't hit his target or he'll do the full combo on somebody and they just completely no sell it Uh, his other technique um from later on in the show the the sokidan the spinning chi bullet uh, he has to do all these very complicated and it's almost like a dance, but like these hand movements to, to control his energy blast. And then it either misses every time or it, whoever he's fighting ends up tricking him into redirecting it and hitting himself. So, yeah, I, I think he's he's a joke. I think he's always been a joke. I mean, that doesn't bother me, but I, I'm a little biased because he's my favorite character because he's he, it's it's just – it's funny to watch him flail about and achieve, not achieve much. Yeah, he's he's like um, he's like Jack Burton from Big Trouble in Little China, right? Like he he thinks yes. of himself as the main character, and, and he's like, absolutely not, and yes. the hero, but he's like the bumbling sidekick. <laughs> as far as as far as redemption, I I mean, me personally, I don't think he needs a redemption. Like he's he's as the story progresses, like he becomes a better person. Like he stops being a bandit and he's generally just a chill guy who just likes, you know, hanging out with his friends. And I, I feel like I don't really feel like you need a redemption arc for that. Yeah. I th- I think a lot of people get swept when people talk about like wanting him to get some sort of a redemption arc uh, of some kind, because we did see, and I know you haven't watched through Dragon Ball Super, but we we see a lot of characters in Dragon Ball Super kind of get these little redemption arcs. Not to not to go too deep into that into that show, but characters who kind of become side characters. We get reminded, you know, just because this character is nothing compared to Vegeta and Goku, doesn't mean they're nothing on a grander, more universal scale, right? Right. Just just because just because Vegeta could these days beat the ever loving crap out of Piccolo does not mean Piccolo is not one of the strongest, like 15 warriors in the universe. So we get, I, we... I, I, I do appreciate super doing that too. Kind of like pulling back a little bit and taking in things as a whole and saying, you know, Hey, let's remind ourselves of, of like, you know, I guess the, 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 the gulf in power levels, even between like your secondary characters and like the rest of the schmucks in the universe. You know? Right. Right. And so yeah, that's it's. I think people get swept up because he because Wolf Fang Fist a it sounds kind of cool and b when he does it like you get that cool wolf thing that comes along with it and the cool wolf howl. Those are pretty cool things, and so people are like, "Oh, that should be associated with like a cooler character," you know. And I, but that's and I think that's that's the thing is I think people are missing that that's the joke. Like he's got these moves that look really cool, 
but ultimately they they don't do anything right he's he's a character that's very much focused on looking cool as opposed to actually trying to be cool and that's it's just a to piggyback off of his fighting style i know we already did our goku episode but um goku's fighting style by contrast is fairly simple that's another thing that's intentional done by toriyama um goku's fighting style i believe is called john ka um john ken john ken rock, paper scissors yes he is he is the style of rock paper scissors um, that's, that's the joke with, with Goku style. And so it's a very simple, like it's inspired by a, a child's game compared to Yamcha's more flamboyant over the top motions and everything. Uh, Goku's is super simple, but it gets the job done. And yeah, I, I agree with you. Like that's, that's the joke. And that's, that's like always been the joke. It's done like so perfectly through the character. I think of Goku himself, like when Goku first comes across this guy, even he is as strong as Goku is, is taken in by the deception and the, the, the complexity of the moves, you know, Yamcha delivers a wolf fang fist to him and knocks him through a stone pillar. And Goku's like, Oh my God, I even see that coming really. And then like, he tries to do it again. And Goku just like, just punches him, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So it's uh yeah I, I agree like I I think he is a joke, but I think he's always in, been a joke, and yes he's an ant- antagonist to begin with. He intends on you know robbing them blind and leaving them with nothing stranded out in the desert and everything, um but he becomes likable and he becomes kind of a, a likable oaf in a way. I I. I go back to this is I mean honestly this is the first time I've I've said that I go back to I think he's a lot like Jack Burton from from uh, Big Trouble in Little China he he thinks he's the main character but he's not he's he's the 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 doofus and I think that that comes into play too in Super later on when they gotta they gotta assemble a team of is it is it twelve fighters I can't remember how many fighters they need to get for the for the um the tournament of power, but they need to get however many fighters, right? And they can't think of who their next one should be. And they can't think of it. And then they kind of come up with, with, Oh, we should ask him. And like, just the way they're talking about it. If you're Yamcha and you're arrogant and you think the world result revolves around you, you think they, they are talking about you. And so he sits back and just waits for everyone to ask him. And no one ever even <laughs> considers that. he. That he <laughs> That he wanted to join the team. And that, that I think, is like a quintessentially Yamcha thing. Like, he thinks, oh boy, I'm the greatest, and no one even realizes he's there. Yep. Yeah, that's that's uh, peak Yamcha right there. Um. So, yeah, that 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 does it on, on uh, three very different types of antagonists, I'll say. Right? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's right. <sighs> so that's it then. We're, we're not going to talk about how we're being censored. You said I'd be joining to help spread the truth about what it's like to be in the Frieza force and all the benefits that come with it. And we haven't even really left yet. And you're already censoring me. You were the one that wanted to change topics recruit. Well, sure, but I figured we'd hash things out via, like, another avenue, like how you can sometimes solve a puzzle by working on a different problem. But instead, we just ignored all the ethical implications of allowing ourselves to be edited. Relax, recruit. And are you going to call me recruit forever? As long as you keep acting like one, yes. Grow up and live in the real world. We are members of an elite fighting force that keeps peace and order in the entire galaxy. We have enemies, and we can't expose ourselves to them while you're off on tangents about dirt planets where nobody important will ever set foot. I suggest you just get used to it. Yeah, I guess you're right. Not to mention, we have children who listen, and we need to make sure we're not letting our words slip into foul territory. Ooh, fair point. I tend to allow that to happen sometimes. It seems like you know more than you're letting on, though, and more than you've explained so far. Of course I do. And my commander knows more than I and Captain Ginyu more than he and Lord Frieza more than anyone. Commanders compartmentalize in order to keep sensitive information. We are a military, after all. 
Oh, yeah. I, I mean, this is such a good gig. I just, I guess sometimes I forget. That's why I'm here, recruit. Keep you in your place. Uh, right. Exactly. Now, as I fire up our launch sequence and we prepare to leave this planet, we'll take our leave of you as well, listeners. Uh, next time, we'll be talking about probably episodes 6, 7, and 8 of this wonderful Dragon Ball anime, unless, you know, we decide to add one or take one away based on what happens in these episodes, but it'll be 6, 7, or 8. Will Bikini finally learn his place? Will he begin to move about above the ranks of being a recruit? Find out next time and help us achieve our final forum. Final Form is written and produced by Tom Gwelly. It is performed by Dan Kinney and Tom Gwelly. Our webmaster is Dan Kinney. Our theme music is provided by YouTube content creator GVG Kit. Want to learn more about the Dragon Ball universe, including concept art, behind-the-scenes interviews, and recommendations from Jelly and Bikini? Connect with us on social media. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Final Forum Pod. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you receive your podcasts. And of course, make sure to share with your friends and family and help us spread the word of the glory of Lord Frieza. The Frieza Force thanks you for your listenership. <laughs>